Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. And we are back. Crossover NBA podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. I am coming to you from Boston, where the suddenly struggling Celtics are headed home for a long homestand over Christmas. Beck is in New York, where two of the hottest teams in the NBA right now reside back let's not talk get about the crazy Nets. well i'm just i mean if you want to get technical like that's <laughs> that's true i mean i was uh the nets are playing good basketball we'll get into them i was in new york on sunday watching the knicks beat the kings and yeah the, the knicks have had some pretty good fortune when it comes to other teams and their star players uh the kings are without De'Aaron fox they played i think the sixers without mb they've been playing all these teams that have not had their top players, Hawks though, Dejounte Murray, um, uh, but they've been winning, so you got to give it to Tibbs. You got to give it to the Knicks. They're starting to defend again uh, and climbing the standings up in I think what that five six spot right now. So uh, good for the Knicks. I know you're a, a Knicks uh, skeptic, but uh, starting to put some wins together, Howard. This is going to be the story of their season. They're going to win three or four in a row. They're going to lose three or four in a row. And every time they have a losing skid, it's going to be fire everybody. Every day that the Knicks lose, especially if they've lost a few in a row, I wake up and I and I get on Twitter and the trending topics are Leon Rose, Tibbs, and it's not like fire anybody. It's just the names are there. And then, but I know what's going to happen if I click the trending topics. It is just a total meltdown. And then they win four in a row, and everything's fine. They're a game over five hundred. And this is a season where being a game over five hundred in either conference means you're you're always within striking distance of the top. But 
let's not delude ourselves. Um, and we'll get to the Nets. I'm, I'm not deluding myself about uh, that New York team either. But the Knicks are going to hover around 500 all year. That's what they are. They put together a 500 team at best that's going to flirt with a game or two over or a game or two under all season. So, I, you know, no four-game winning streak should be uh, uh, considered anything significant, I would say. I forgot how much I loved the Tom Thibodeau press conference. Like, he just says words. Like, our friend Michael Pina was there, our former colleague now over with the ringer, and he was obviously working on something on Domas Sabonis with the Kings, and he was asking Tibbs about Sabonis, and Tibbs just starts rattling off, like, you know, one-word sentences, like, strong, physical, could shoot, <laughs> score it. <laughs> He's just Tibbs saying. just kind of grunts his way through a post-game <laughs> press gets- conference. Oh, it was pregame. It was even pregame. It was pre- that, so <laughs> it was it was wild. Uh, we're gonna get into the Nets on this episode. We're gonna talk about Russell Westbrook's uh, successful transition into the sixth man role and what that means for him and his future. And the Wizards is it time for the Wizards to start thinking about options when it comes to Bradley Beal? Um, one personal note from this week, of course, the sports world uh, took notice with the passing of Grant Wall, the longtime Sports Illustrated writer over in Cutter. Um I I don't even know what to say about it because it's been such a surreal last few days. You know, I got a phone call from one of my longtime colleagues who passed along the news and I just remember being on the phone with this person being like, you gotta be bleeping kidding me. Like you just you couldn't believe something like that could actually happen. Uh, I got to Sports Illustrated back in 2002. Grant had been there for about six, seven years at that point. Already, even at a young age, well-established as one of the top college basketball writers in the country. Someone who, at that time, was writing these incredible soccer features on the side, back when soccer was nothing in the American market. And it if my takeaway from my early days as a fact checker and my experience with Grant is anything, it's just how incredibly gracious he was with his time, um, with his resources, whether it was helping you piece together a story um, or eagerly or willingly handing over a contact. I mean, I, you know, like Grant, I mean, you know, back in those days, the way the Sports Illustrated kind of masthead worked was you got into the door as a fact checker and you eventually worked your way up into a writing position. Um, Chris Ballard did it. I did it. Grant did it. There's a whole lot of guys that, that did it back in the early aughts. And, you know, you, you don't expect someone like Grant even then to be as, as just incredible with his time as he was. But, but he was like that. And if you open up Twitter in the last couple of days and read all the tributes to Grant Wall, you you see he was like that with everybody. Everybody in the business. Um, and that's, there isn't a better legacy that you can leave than that. I mean, he did leave another legacy. I mean, the guy, how many of us can say at the end of our careers that we played an instrumental role in the growth of a sport? Um, you and I, Howard, love the NBA. We talk about the NBA, write about the NBA. I don't think we play a substantive role in growing the NBA. Grant Wall did. Grant Wall was, as I mentioned, introducing the world to 
introduced in the country, I should say, because it was a global sport, as Grant was well aware, uh, but introduced in the U.S. to soccer in ways that it had never been introduced before. Writing these incredible features on soccer stars that played a prominent role in soccer's growth in this country. And you could see in the days after all the people that acknowledged that work that Grant put in. Uh, I hadn't seen Grant in a few years. Obviously, the pandemic happened that kept us all out of the office. Uh, he left Sports Illustrated in 2020. But you know, I, I remember during the pandemic, and this was after he had left SI, I had reached out to him about speaking to his wife, uh, Dr. Celine Gounder, who is one of the preeminent uh, doctors when it comes to the COVID vac- uh, COVID-19 virus in the country. And just like Grant, he quickly got back to you, said she'd be happy to do it, connected me, did they just did things you didn't really need to do if you're, you know, if you were him. So um, he will be incredibly missed. You feel for his family. The only thing Grant loved more than soccer was his wife. And he was, he was incredibly uh, vocal and public about that. So proud of her was he for the work that she put in um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the throes of it. And he was vocal about that every day of the week. So we lost a good person. We lost a good writer. We just, the, the world is a worse place without Grant Wall in it. That's kind of where I, I stand. I know you didn't uh, get a chance, I think, to work with him, did, did you, Howard? But, I, you know, I'm, no. I'm sure you've seen everything that's come out over the last couple of days. No, the, the, the absolute outpouring of, you know, sadness, sympathy, respect, appreciation for him uh, says it all. And it's times like this that as screwed up as Twitter is, I'm glad we have it so that we can all see this for those of us who didn't know Grant and for everybody who did know him to be able to celebrate him in kind of that public space where obviously a lot of sports fans and a lot of journalists are all gathering on Twitter. It was a great uh, it was great to see the celebration of his work and his life gone way too soon. I'm sorry I never got a chance not only to, to work with him, I got to SI maybe eight, nine months after he was gone. Um, but we never crossed paths either because I wasn't a soccer guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the closest thing that would have, have, have happened was back in his early days, as you mentioned, when he was a college uh, basketball writer, he, of course, did the, the cover story, the famous cover story on LeBron James when LeBron was still in high school. Um, and but other than that, you know, and, and I, I was in L.A. back then. We just we never crossed paths. I'm, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to because it from everything you have told me and everybody else has said and written about him. He just sounds like an amazing person. Um, so, yeah, I, I would join you in, in just wishing the best to his family and condolences uh, to to everybody who knew him. And, and Grant and I would we, we were often at odds when it came to sports because I I have hated soccer. Like I am not a soccer guy to the point where I think it was 08, 09 that Sports Illustrated assigned. They they knew I hated soccer. It was kind of like a a, a gimmick in the office. Like, you know, Grant was there. Mark Moravic, Grant's editor, was there. These were just avid soccer fans. And I look, I'm an NBA guy. I like scoring. I don't really get the appeal (laughs) of I don't get it. I don't get the appeal of soccer. Um, I, I just didn't. And. You know, SI sent me up and down the East Coast in a minivan one year, you know, for about a week, week and a half to send me to like four or five MLS games, a couple Who of international friendlies. did you piss friendlies. off for this to happen? <laughs> no, I, I actually loved it. I loved the idea. I'm like, all right, I'll go do it. Like, sure, why not? Like, plus at that point, I'm like 20-something trying to get magazine space. So I'm like, sure, yes. I'll do whatever you want. Of course. Um, and, 
you, you know, like the, I think they believed that I was going to leave that experience like th- buying into soccer, like loving it. I, I did not. And I wrote a rather long story critical of soccer. Uh, I did the due diligence. I mean, I, I talked to elite soccer players. I, you know, was down on the field. I, I did, I, I reported out the story. Like, I did the work. I still didn't like soccer. And you, Grant and I had some discussions about that in <laughs> the aftermath of, of that story going to print. I had one uh, editor of mine, and this was totally a jest. Like, he was just describing Grant's passion for soccer he's like you know after you wrote that story grant probably wanted you fired at that point because (laughs) because like you can't like any soccer coverage in sports illustrated should have been not positive necessarily but something substantial and it was and me in a minivan with like half a dozen guys sometimes from si sometimes from where i grew up driving up and down the east coast was not a substantive use of of soccer coverage i think in the eyes of Grant, but man, was he a titan when it came to soccer journalism? I think you can safely say the greatest soccer journalist of this generation, and you, know, you can certainly make an argument that he's the greatest soccer journalist of all time. So uh, he will, he will be missed. All right, uh, let's talk about a few things going on in the NBA right now, and I do want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, Howard, because like Lazarus, the Nets have come back to life. <laughs> they have won. Eight of their last nine games as we record this. They're sitting in the uh, four seed in the Eastern Conference, just a half game behind Cleveland, four and a half games behind Boston for the top spot. They are 15-7 and since Jacques Vaughn took over as head coach. They have gone for a team that ranked in the bottom five in the NBA in efficiency rankings to ranking in the top six or seven in offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, net rating. They are clicking right now as a team. Um, So I'll put the question to you, Howard. Have the Brooklyn Nets turned the corner? Are the Brooklyn Nets suddenly a conference contender? No, they're not a conference contender. (laughs) People in New York are going to hate you. You know that, right? The Knicks, you kind of poo-poo their success. The Nets... It's fine. When do we get to Westbrook? Um, (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm just going to be Mr. Negative today. I'm sorry. Um, look, uh, so let's a, a couple other quick numbers to just to throw out before we, we get into it. Um, you noted them winning what it was eight of, eight of the last 10, whatever it's been. They're 11 Nine, and three. Yeah. yeah. 11 and three in their last 14 um, and 16 and seven since that one and five start. So over the last 14 in that 11 and three, they're 10th in offensive rating in that time and 11th in defensive rating in that time um, and seventh in net rating. So, Strong, not elite, but, you know, just outside the top 10 in in offense and defense. Um, For the season now, they've climbed all the way to 11th in offense and 13th in defense. Solid, solid, not great, not spectacular, not dominant, solid. Um, Over that 14 They're going to get a lot better in offense, too. They're going to get a lot better offensively, too. Like, that number is going to climb. We can debate defense, but they're going to continue to get better offensively. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Okay. (laughs) They're, wow. <laughs> perspective on the 11 and 3. They beat Washington twice. Washington's terrible. And one of those games was without Beal. They beat Charlotte. They beat Orlando. Bad teams. They beat some good teams that are missing key players. They beat the Hawks without DeJounte Murray and some other guys. They beat Memphis without John Morant or Jaron Jackson Jr. or Desmond Bain. They beat Portland twice, and one of those games was without Dame. They. 
in the most significant matchup of this entire 14-game stretch, they got their butts kicked again by the Celtics, your Celtics. So, okay, they're, they're, the, the first step to being good and respectable in this league is beating bad teams and hopefully beating some of the other only solid to good teams. But if you want to be a contender, you've got to beat Boston. And it's one game. It's one game. They might be better equipped to beat the Celtics and the Bucks and some others later in the season. If if your uh, belief in their offense only improving is, is true, I'm curious to hear your theory on that. But we've got some bigger tests coming up. The Warriors will be here next week to play the Nets. That'll be followed by the Bucks, And then the Nets are going to go uh, play a road game at Cleveland. So there you, there you have, you know, the defending champs plus two of the top teams in the East um, coming up. And I think those will be better gauges. Where I'm not sold, Chris, is this. Uh, as constructed, they are never going to be great defensively. This is not a, there's no framework for a top 10 defense there. By the way, quick aside, the bar for the Nets isn't shouldn't be, oh, they're a few games over 500 now and they've recovered. The bar for the Nets with three max players, three guys who are all NBA, one of whom Kevin Durant is playing at an MVP level, the bar ain't being pretty good. That was a really grammatically lovely sentence. But by the, the way, bar- by the way, I agree with you on the defense. And we had a similar conversation like two weeks ago. Remember when Jacques Vaughn took over, their defensive yeah. numbers climbed and that was because of the teams that they played i think their defense is a reflection of their opponents um, well it's I'm also on that one yeah i mean listen it's it's also that you know they got so a bunch of things happened to turn this around and i'm not going to diminish Jacques vaughn's role in this at all Jacques vaughn i think has been great and he's been the right guy at the right time i love his demeanor i didn't know Jacques vaughn well um before he took over and i still don't know him well but i'm at a lot of nets home games because i live here Jacques vaughn's pregame with the media is like the most uplifting 15 minutes yeah. of my day sometimes. Like, he is so positive. He's always smiling. He's always cheerful. He gives thoughtful answers. Um, he's always so upbeat. You leave the pre-gamer, pregame presser with Jacques Vaughn, and, like, you're, like, ready. Like, yeah, let's go! <laughs> like, he's... Uh, and, and given how... Whereas, whereas Steve Nash was... Steve Nash was, like, the embodiment of embattled. Like, if you had the word embattled, embattled in the dictionary, that could be and, Steve Nash's picture right next to it. And, and monotone and... Just, you know, never, never felt like a head coach. He just never fit the role. So I think the transition to Jacques Vaughn has been a positive. It is not the most, it's not the most important of all of these, because I think all of these things are, 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 are at work here. Um, Seth Curry and Joe Harris were both hurt to start the season and they got healthy. Ben Simmons was just a shadow of himself. People were saying like, we may never see the old Ben Simmons again. Jacques Vaughn did not make Ben Simmons turn to Ben Simmons again. That was just, Ben Simmons just had to get there. So that's not... Some of this is about coaching, and I think the defensive focus is, has helped. Losing Kyrie to that suspension for eight games, that's when they turned their defense around. Now, they've sustained it fairly well with him back, but they figured out a, a format. Part of that also being, by the way, Ben Simmons and uh, Nick Claxton not playing as much together. Like You can't start those guys together. You can't play them a ton together. It, it clogs up your offense. It, it might make them better defensively, uh, but it clogs up your offense because you have two non-shooters out there. So I think they've figured out some things about the rotation. I think having a bunch of shooters healthy, I mentioned Curry and, and Joe Harris, and then you've got, you know, you've got guys like Patty Mills available and, and Royce O'Neal. So there's a lot of good shooting to put around those three stars. But if Ben Simmons was playing at a below average level, which he was to start the season, then you're you're screwed. So having three max players that are pl- now playing like max players, granted Simmons has been hurt again, uh, helps. 
But let's be clear. The bar is title contention. Nothing less than that. If they just have a nice season, I'm not here to praise them for having three max players, three guys who have all been all NBA in the last few years, who who are going to be just good enough to be a four or five seed. That's not the bar here. And that's not the, that's just not the standard. So um, they're good. They're better than they were. Um, I, they're still not at the level, I think, that they're supposed to be given their star power. And I don't know that they're going to get there. Ben Simmons is, is getting hurt because the back leads to the to the knee, which leads to whatever else. Yeah. Kevin Durant has not been out yet. They rested him for a game that, by the way, incredible win in, in, in Indiana when they rested eight guys. When the, the Nets rested eight guys and beat Indiana. Shame on the Pacers. At, in Indiana. Um, Cam but, Thomas time. Oh, my gosh. Um, like That was a preseason game. That was, that was like a, just a preseason game. So Kevin Durant has not missed time yet. And it is, I hate to say this. I'm not wishing this on him. Kevin Durant, it is almost inevitable he's going to miss 10, 12, 15, 16 games at some point because that's the history of a post-Achilles player, and that's been his history since his Achilles in 2019. So at some point, he may go down for an extended period with a hamstring, a quad, an ankle, a calf. And what are they going to be without him? And by the way, they're playing him heavy minutes. Every single night, Jacques Vaughn says, we got to lower his minutes. we gotta, we got to uh, you know, ratchet back his minutes. They can't because Ben Simmons, as great as he is, can't carry you. Kyrie Irving, as great as he is, is not going to carry you most nights. Uh, it's all about Kevin Durant. As long as he's great, they're good. Um, but I, I just think there's a lot of volatility within that still. And, you know, we never know when the next Kyrie Irving thing, whatever that thing is going to be, there's going to be another Kyrie Irving thing because there always is. I can't get. I I need a deep dive on why Nets coaches from Steve Nash to now Jock Vaughn won't give Cam Thomas more playing time. Like he got twenty nine minutes in that Pacers game, scored thirty three points. Right, I have it's a like question granted. for you. I I, I can okay. answer your question with a question. <laughs> okay. Have you ever seen Cam Thomas pass the ball? No, I haven't. Well, he, I, I'll say this: from when I talk to people Cam, in Brooklyn, Cam Thomas is all about Cam Thomas, baby. Okay, but he's he's gotten a little bit better with the ball move. It didn't need to be a ball mover in that game against uh, Indiana because it was you know Cam time all that. But because it but was like, a preseason game, right? But like you know, but you saw in the playoffs last year when Durant's out there for forty plus minutes and he's dragging at the end of those games. Like, could Cam Thomas not have played five minutes in the second quarter? to give Kevin Durant a rest. I feel the same way. Like, he's starting to get some minutes uh, in uh, in December. Like, I look at some of these games. Like, against Charlotte, he played five minutes. Against Boston, nine minutes. Uh, Portland, six minutes. Philadelphia, three minutes. Like, just like get – you need to get Kevin Durant off the floor for, like, three to five extra minutes per game. You got to get him off there. Because I agree with you that the minutes is a problem, and it's been a problem the last two seasons in Brooklyn. They, they last three, really, because when he got came back from that – Achilles injury, you saw him in the playoffs that first year, and he was playing 40-plus minutes in the postseason. You got to get him off the floor. Now, one thing I, I that makes me optimistic about the Nets is that the the new the, the new thing in this last eight, nine games, in addition to playing like a million games at home, they had one of the longest homestands I've ever had, um, it's all about basketball. We're not talking about off-court issues. We're not talking about Kevin Durant's trade request. We're not talking about Kyrie and his status with the team. And is he anti-Semitic or isn't he? Um, we're not talking about Ben Simmons as much as we used to, at least. Right? Like, you know, we're not wondering, 
you know, will Ben Simmons ever be able to play? Like, he's dealing with injuries, and I, I'm with you there, too. I think that's a legitimate concern because the back is connected to the knee, which is connected to the calf, and all these things can kind of, you know, come together to form a big problem for Brooklyn. But it's all about basketball right now with the Nets. And yeah, if they can keep it focused on basketball, they've got a chance here. They're going to fall defensively. They've got that tough schedule, as you pointed out, coming up, and... I'm curious to see what they do against Golden State, against Milwaukee, against the top-tier teams in in both conferences. Um, But if they can keep it locked in on basketball and Kevin Durant can stay on the floor, they're a top-five team in the Eastern Conference and not one I'd be all that excited about about playing in the first or second round. Can I just give you a quick Cam Thomas note? (laughs) Still in Cam Thomas. the hell? I just had to look. Cam Thomas's usage rate, this is comical, is 22.6. You know who's got usage rates higher than him? Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. That's it. End of list on the Nets. He has the third highest usage rate hey, at 22.6. His assist average, rate... Yeah, I know, that's where you're going. I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. His, his assist rate, on the other hand, is 13.3. That's eighth on the Nets. So uh, remember, he was the Free one like, kind of... He was throwing shade at Steve Nash in Summer League because he got opportunities to score in Summer League, and then he was like making these offhand remarks that were clearly shots at Steve Nash. And now, within the last couple of weeks, I think he's actually said again, maybe after the, the Pacer game, where he was like, yeah, you know, I just need opportunities. You know, if somebody, people just got to put me out there. Like, Cam Thomas wants to get out there and shoot a lot of shots. Um, that's the, the lesson of Cam Thomas. Um I'm sorry. That's that, that's a bad digression just to point out some, some unflattering stats. Uh you were saying about the Nets and the upside. Um, you know, listen, I don't want to face Kevin Durant in the playoffs if I'm the Celtics, the Bucks, anybody else. I, I'm not sold on the rest of the Nets, but I, Kevin Durant at any given time is is a potential atomic bomb going off. On the other hand, the Celtics completely throttled him and Kyrie um, last spring, and I don't see any yeah, reason they, why they, they did, wouldn't they be able did, to again. They did, though. But Howard, like, like those games, like, were decided by a combined like eight points or something like that. Like, you know, they they swept the, the Nets, and that is what. But it Durant is, never but... got Durant never should take over. It, it could no, he, like he, he, he was forty percent, I think, from the field in that series. Yeah. That was like or somewhere around there. It was bad. Yeah, and I just I don't know that there's anything fundamentally different about this version of the Nets that's going to make them capable of beating a fully functioning Celtics or Bucks team if those teams are healthy. So, um, yeah, I, I, have, I have not wavered from my position that I, I, I still think, like, I do not th- see them as a title contender this season. And since they are not, and since Kyrie Irving is probably leaving in free agency next summer, I, I, still, say, I still say blow this thing up. So, I still, I mean, the way, like, Ky- Kyrie has, is still volatile, to say the least. But I'm not as convinced as I used to be that Kyrie was gone. Because, like, the Nets, if they let him walk, it's not like they have any kind of cap flexibility. Like, they've no. got Simmons under no, contract. No, they can't, they've got they can't replace him. Contract. So but, man, it's, think, it's about, think about the signals that they have sent about how freaking pissed off they've been with him. The stuff that Sean Marks had to say post uh, after the season last spring, the things that they said even on, on media day whenever they brought everybody back, the things that Josiah had to say on Twitter after Kyrie's ridiculous uh, social media saga um like I, I they don't the, the the vaccination issues they don't need to like like that's that's in the past now you don't he's not going to do we don't have to worry about the vaccine thing again and we don't have to worry about presumably him posting any more anti-semitic films or anything else like that but like it's always something and i think it's clear that they're tired of the somethings and the unknown yeah. I, I i just i know they can't replace him 
because that that the way the cap works, if you're over, you're just you're screwed. You you cannot get the equivalent of Kyrie Irving on the market, unless you do a sign and trade. But I just cannot see them opting for another year of him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think you're more likely than not. About three weeks ago, though, I would have said a hundred percent chance he's not back. Now I'm like seventy five percent chance he's yeah. Not a lot back. of games left to be played. Uh, Chris. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of yeah. a lot of games. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Your, hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you know have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, speaking of games, Russell Westbrook's been playing some good games of late. I want to get into this for a minute. I wrote on SI.com on Tuesday about Westbrook's uh, kind of evaluating where Westbrook is as a sixth man. I talked to a lot of people around the league about Westbrook, coaches, general managers, um, talked to Stan Van Gundy for a while, talked to Dwayne Wade, who is one of the few superstars who briefly successfully transitioned into a six-man role in his final year in Miami. Uh, Westbrook has played 22 games off the bench this season with the Lakers. Uh, He's averaging about 15 points. He's handing out about eight assists. Um, 
you know, his plus minus is still in the red. He's about minus two and a half, but that's an improvement over the minus 5.3 he was in his three games uh, as a starter. Um, and, and more importantly, like he's sort of passing the eyeball test, Howard. Like you're seeing a guy that when he gets on the floor is not, you know, kind of the liability he used to be. He He's productive. I mean, I was watching the Pistons game on Sunday. He comes in six minutes into the uh, first quarter. He has six points. He has four assists. He's, you know, moving well. Um, it seems to be working for Russell Westbrook in this role. Give me your evaluation of kind of Westbrook as a sixth man. And yeah, start there. Like, what are you seeing out of Westbrook as a sixth man? So, um, as you noted, uh, it's been like, how many games now? 22. 20, 22 games. 15 points, five and a half rebounds, eight assists in a, in a bench roll. That's kind of what you want from him. Um, the shooting is what it is. Shooting 32% from three as, as a reserve and, and worse overall Which, for the season. Which, by the way, when compared to his previous seasons, like 32% is sniper territory. I mean, it, as, you know, just getting him up over 30% is, is a victory in He's itself. only done it once since his MVP season. Yeah. Um, you know, true shooting percentage is just over over 500. It, it, it's fine. It's not, you know, it's not spectacular, but, you know, whatever. Um, his overall field goal percentage, 42%. It, it, it's fine. I think the positive here is that he's accepted the role, embraced the role, functioned well in the role. And here I go being negative again. Westbrook is unchanged, though. I mean, he he has adapted and he has subsumed his ego for the sake of of better uh, team of, of team goals. Right. All credit to him for doing that. It's it's good. It's to probably see some self preservation in that too. Sure, and it's been good for the Lakers. Yeah, of, of course, definitely some self preservation because he knows he's a free agent next summer, and he's got to be he's got to show that he's going to be adaptable if he's going to continue in this league. Um, but the rest of Westbrook remains the same, right? He's still not a good three point shooter, but he's still going to take those threes. He's still not a guy who's going to do much off the ball. So the ball's got to be in his hands when he's on the floor, which means he's still not great as a co-star to LeBron. And he's still not going to defend. So all the flaws are still there. And if you're the Lakers, you're you're just now managing those flaws. And if you are at a, an, a, a rival team that's considering trading for him or considering signing him next summer, those flaws haven't gone away and he's still getting older. And so he's, of course, you know, not as great at finishing at the rim and yada, yada, yada. So I I still think the future for him is a little cloudy. And I still think his future with the Lakers is limited. Like at, at most he's, he's gone after this season. They'll, they'll happily accept the cap room and and use it on, on other players to, to build out a more balanced roster, which they had before they traded all of that balance for him. Um, I, I still think there's a ceiling though on this team as constructed. And again, we can get all excited about their recovery, Chris, but they, you know, they've beaten up mostly on, on some bad teams. They've had a couple of good wins along the way against some good teams too, which covered some of this last week. But I, I, I don't like, there's still what, like 11th, 12th in the, in the West. Like I, I don't see a, a scenario. They're 12th and four games under 500. I don't see this, a scenario where they are, jumping up into contention and i still think that and maybe westbrook's better play helps this i still think your best bet is trading westbrook and one or both of those future picks to get the immediate help we've covered that to death everybody has i don't think that reality has changed westbrook being solid in that six-man role is a positive for them but it's it it, the, the flaws and the limitations are still there yeah um you know i i think in this role 
he has a lot, he can have a lot more success being the player he thinks he still is, right? Like he, it, when he's not worried right from the jump about getting Anthony Davis involved, getting LeBron James involved, if he just has to go out there and, you know, beat up on a lot of second unit guys, he can still be successful. I had one GM, you know, compare this role to what Rustbrook did during his MVP season. You know, the guy was half kidding, but he's like, he was basically playing with second teamers in Oklahoma City. Like at that time, that was post Durant. And, you know, there wasn't a, a depth of talent there in Oklahoma after Durant walked. Uh, so he was able to just kind of do his thing out there. And being with the second unit, he has more freedom to do his thing. You're right. He's never going to be a, a lethal three-point shooter. He's always going to think he is. So he's going to take bad shots during games. Um, and I should point out, like in the fourth quarter of that Pistons game, he wasn't on the floor. <laughs> like, you know, Darvin Ham deemed it better to keep him off the, on the bench and have Austin Reeves in there and other guys in there as opposed to Russell Westbrook. So it's not like he's... I don't see this like rosy four or five year future, but I do see a future now for Russell Westbrook because this is the only way it was going to work. And what I'd like to see from Westbrook is more than just an acceptance of this role. I want to see like a full-throated embrace of this role. I I was talking to Dwayne Wade about this last week. And one thing Wade said to me was like, man, I knew I was done at the end. Like, you know, his body was was done. Like, he wasn't going to keep playing basketball at, in his final year in the NBA. But he's like, that role? He's like, I loved it. He's like, if my body would was better and healthier, you know, I, he would have been happy playing two, three, four more years as a sixth man. I'd like to see that from Westbrook. Like, now, it feels like now he's kind of begrudgingly going on to it. Like, he does all these interviews. People ask him all the time about the six-man role, and he kind of brushes it all off. He's like, I'll just play what I'm told, all that stuff. I like to see Westbrook be like, this is great. I love this. I have a chance to be sixth man of the year. I have a chance to, you know, burnish my resume, add to my legacy by being a contributor off the bench for a winning team. Because that's what I think he can be. Like, when I talked to executives about Westbrook, you know, three weeks ago, they would have said, hell no. We, weren't, we wouldn't touch him in the offseason. Now, if if he continues to play like this and operate like this, He's got a chance for a winning team to sign him, probably not for more than the mid-level exception, but he's got a chance for a winning team to sign him and play him in a reasonable role. That's not something I think either one of us would have expected at the start of the season. I mean, it wasn't hyperbole to say this might have been Westbrook's last year. Like, it sounded like it, but it really wasn't. Like, who was going to sign him if he was hell-bent on being a starter and playing 30-plus minutes a night? This version of Westbrook... Short-term can help the Lakers to the point where I don't think the Lakers are going to attach much, if anything, to Westbrook in a trade. Like, you know, might they have attached unprotected first a month ago? Probably. But now, unless they're getting back a real difference maker, they're not attaching an unprotected first-round pick to Russell Westbrook. That's not my read of the situation uh, anyway. Uh, so short-term, he can help. And long-term, he can be a guy that can be a productive player. That That's... That's sort of what I'm, I've taken away from this, Howard, that he's he's gone from a guy that in early November was done. You're talking about a guy done. Like, you know, this was his last year in the NBA. He'd go from making $45 million per year in the NBA to zero next year. Now, I can certainly see him signing like a P 
P.J. Tucker-esque three-year, $30-plus million contract with a contending team next year if he's willing to embrace this role? I'm not all the way there yet, um, in part because teams, most teams... You're not teams, alone, by the way. You're not alone. Like, your, your friend Stan yeah. Van Gundy, uh, I talked to him for a while. He was also... He praised what Westbrook has done, but when I asked him about Westbrook's long-term future, he's like, let's just wait and see, all right? Let, let's just see yeah. how this season plays I mean, out. Part of it is you just have to do the exercise if you look around the league and you say, okay, how are teams situated at the position, right? He's, you know, even at this stage of his career... Westbrook is a primary ball handler. That is that is who he is. So whether he's a starter or whether he's a reserve, if he is on your team and on the floor, you have to expect the ball to be in his hands, which means you need a lot of shooters around him and defenders around him to function. So fit is 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 one challenge. The other th- thing is is just that the position's really deep, right? Like let's take the, like the Grizzlies for example, right? I was going to use that example. I was going to use that yeah. example because Westbrook in a way, kind of mirrors the style of play of John Morant. Right. But John Morant, young superstar, backed up by Tyus Jones, phenomenal backup. Go to teams around the league. Who would you rather have, Tyus Jones or Russell Westbrook? They're all going to say Tyus Tyus Jones. Jones. Tyus Jones, yeah. Um, And so that's that's the exercise. Where do you find the fit? And we don't have to go through that now. We'll probably be having this discussion, you know, next spring at some point about where is Westbrook going to be next. Um. But like finding the right fit and finding a team that actually needs that guy, a ball dominant backup point guard, it, it, it's still a little bit of a challenge. I'm not saying he's going to be gone. I'm not saying that there's not a fit for him somewhere next season. But you know, the other question is: is this like okay? He's accepted this for now, but you point out in your column, and you just noted it a second ago too, like Westbrook is not exactly speaking enthusiastically about this. He's accepted it. But has he truly like embraced it as a long-term thing? Or is this just something like, I got to do this to get through the season? And is he going to see himself in free agency next summer as a guy who, when he's talking to team, says, and by the way, whether you're paying me $10 million, $20 million, $5 million, I expect to come in and start, play big minutes, and dominate the ball like I have my whole career. That's not going to go over well with teams. And I don't know if, if, if he has evolved enough in his own head about his role to accept that. And, and if he hasn't, like that, you know, that, that could still create a major barrier for him in terms of, of finding another home. Yeah. Um, I think we'll be able to paint a much better picture in March and April about Westbrook's future. And if he yeah. plays this way, maybe if he regresses, declines, definitely not. This, this could go a lot of different ways uh, for Russell Westbrook. Uh, last thing I want to talk One last thought about. on him. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Quick, quick thing. One last thought on him before we, we, we leave this. As long as he's with the Lakers, by the way, and you pointed out, he's like averaging like six and a half minutes per fourth quarter, right? He is not playing a massive mm-hmm. part of the, of the fourth quarter. And you mentioned a game recently where he wasn't even out there. You have $47 million. It's 47, right? Uh, wrapped Big. tied up in him. Yeah. So my part of the reason for trading him still is that you'd rather have players for that amount of money. That's almost, you know, like, like it's like a, more than a third of of the uh, of the salary cap, you want that to be in players who could be productive for you and reliable in fourth quarters. If you can't play him in fourth quarters because he doesn't fit with LeBron and because he doesn't shoot well and because he's going to take some some ill-advised shots at bad moments, that's another argument for trading him for 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 multiple players who actually can be out there. All right, that's yeah, that's he, that's my last Westbrook thought. And he's had a couple of games even during this recent run of success for the Lakers where 
He's in the fourth quarter, and he's taking some very ill-advised shots. Shots that should be going to LeBron, should be going to AD. Like he, that, that's, you got to clean that up um, if you're going to have any chance to play uh, for a winner. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I want to talk briefly about the situation in Washington right now. Uh, Wizards, as of uh, Tuesday afternoon when we're recording this, lost seven straight. Um, Bradley Beal's been in a lot of the lineup with injuries. When he's in the lineup, he's pretty good. He's played 18 games this year, averaging about 22 points, shooting like 50-something percent from the floor, 35% from three. So he's still a productive player, but... It kind of predictably, Howard, the Wizards aren't going anywhere in this situation. Um, and, and I'm a fan of the Wizards front office. Tommy Shepard's done some nice things with the guys around Bradley Beal. Some of the draft picks they've made have been very good. But I never really understood why the Wizards didn't move him in the offseason. And I never really got why there wasn't more effort to explore sign-and-trade scenarios um, uh, in the offseason. Last season with the trade, offseason with sign-and-trade stuff. They're just, they're not good enough. And, you know, Bradley Beal, who has played, I think, some pretty good minutes in recent years, if I'm looking at some of his numbers. Yeah, you go back to 18-19, he played 82 games, led the NBA in minutes, 36 minutes during the shortened uh, COVID season. Next year's at 36 minutes. Last year only plays 40 games with 36 minutes at 35 minutes this year. Like, I, I, I think we're, we're entering the, the territory where Bradley Beal is no longer the 28 to 30 point per game scorer. He's still a 20 plus point per game guy, but he's not a carry your team to the next level uh, type of guy. <sighs> Again, I, I didn't understand the decision not to trade him before, but I feel like now 
even in the first year of this contract, you've got to start looking at ways to get off Bradley Beal and get something substantive back in return. Now, the Wizards, again, this was puzzling. They gave Bradley Beal a no-trade clause. I don't know why they did that. I don't know why after giving him a five-year max contract, giving him all the money they could, they tacked on a no-trade clause. Like, I get why Bradley Beal would want it, because it gives him control, but why the Wizards would would do that, it, it eludes me. Um, it, this is not a team going anywhere, Howard. Like, at best to me, they're kind of a play-in type of team. Maybe they get hot, get into the postseason as a result of that, but they're going to get creamed by somebody in the first round. Is it too early as we get towards this, you know, mid-December start of trade season to start looking at Bradley Beal as someone Washington should look to move off of? Yes. And if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said yes. And if you've asked me two years ago, I would have said yes. And if you'd asked me three or four years ago, I would have said yes. I would have said yes before this past extension and before the extension before that. They keep doing this. The Wizards have, like, talk about a stubborn franchise. And this predates uh, Tommy as as GM. And obviously he worked under Ernie Grunfeld. And I like both of these guys very much. Great people. And I think they've both done some, some wonderful things um, with the Wizards. But as a franchise, and this goes, I think, all the way up to ownership, to be honest, they've been very stubborn about pivoting. They don't want to pivot. The John Wall, Bradley Beal era was fun. It was modestly successful, moderately successful for a time. And yet at their peak, those two together never won more than 49 games. Elite in this league is like 60-plus, now you're a title contender. 50-plus means you're one of the best teams in the NBA, and you need to get to like 55 if you want to be really serious. But like, you got to at least get to 50. They never even got to 50. They've got one uh, playoff series victory in like the last six, seven years. Um, They've just never been that good. They are the epitome of the treadmill of mediocrity. And they've decided to stay on that treadmill. That's a choice. They traded Wall when they finally had an opportunity to uh, you know, unload him for another bad contract, Russell Westbrook. And then they made a great trade with Westbrook, right? Like, we all agree. Everybody in the league has agreed from the moment it happened. The Wizards made a great trade in dumping Westbrook for Contagious Caldwell-Pope and Kyle Kuzma and Montrezl Harrell. And the Lakers made a terrible trade in doing that deal. So they've done some good things. But where has it gotten them? And then everything has been kind of like deals that they kind of had to make. They, they, there's a fork in the road, right? They they, they kind of need to get off of, of Wall, so they got Westbrook. They had to get off of Westbrook. They got a decent package. They needed to get off of Spencer Dinwiddie and um, and Davis Bertans because they, they, they overpaid them both and they parlayed them into Porzingis, who's actually been pretty good for them. Uh, you know, the usual health issues here and there, but Porzingis has been very good. But a Bradley Beal, Kristaps Porzingis duo is not getting you anywhere really. Like, at best, they're a first-round-and-out team. So where are they? So when you ask, like, should they trade Beal? Of course they should trade Beal, except he's now got this no-trade clause that they shouldn't have given him, um, and which complicates any deal. Now, their point is, I've talked to the Wizards about this, their point has been all along, listen, if we get to the point where we're going to trade Beal, it's going to be in concert with him anyway. We're not going to trade him somewhere where he doesn't want to go. He's he's been too great to this franchise yeah, and the city. Because they can't. I mean, for starters, they can't. <laughs> that, no, but they the, no. That's, that, I'm saying that's that, why okay. I, I, they're saying oh. the no trade clause is immaterial because we would have it's not given immaterial. him the option it's to not steer immaterial. it anyway. That, okay, which is I, ludicrous. I I'm not disagreeing Brad, with Bradley you. I'm just Beale, you. Bradley Beal is a is. I know what you're saying. Like Bradley Beal is a good guy and a really good player. 
but he's not LeBron James. You don't, and he's not no. like Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. Like he's not a guy you no. work with to make sure he's happy with a deal. If you're the Washington Wizards, no. you, you got to be happy with the deal. I mean, Howard, look at this roster. Like you're not winning anything with this roster. Again, no. there's ceiling to me. Ceiling is play in. Like that, that to me is the team that they are. You look at the depth chart with this group. The future of this team is Denny Abja. The future of this team is Rui Hashimura. The future of this team is Johnny Davis, who was their first-round pick uh, this past year. Like, those guys are the future of this team. Like, w- like what are they going to do next summer, like, if they play this out? Like, Kyle Kuzma's going to opt out of his contract. going to pay Kyle Kuzma to come back to be part of whatever? Like, there's an opportunity Aren't there rumblings the next- already that he wants out? Well, I mean, I think he wants to get paid. I thought I, I saw that somewhere. He's got $13 million coming next year in a player option. He's going to opt out of that. and he's uh, Kyle's probably, he's worth more than that. He, he, now's his time to, to cash in uh, in the NBA. Um, yeah. But you're in a position right now, if you're Washington, where because, as you wrote so well on SI.com, there's so much parity in the NBA. Like, if you're putting guys on the block, you're going to have competition for teams that want to get him. So you put Kyle Kuzma out there even in what's effectively the last year of his contract. Be teams willing to give up first-round draft capital for Kyle Kuzma, I would think. Um, you put Bradley Beal on the block. You're going to get a lot of teams interested with like multiple first-round picks and young players. Like Whether it's, you know, I look at the teams out in California, Golden State, uh, would they get interested in Bradley Beal? The Lakers, they're interested in everybody, you know? So <laughs> like that, that might be the player that they attach those two unprotected first-round picks to it. If you're Washington and that comes to fruition, you got to jump at that. I just... The Wizards were a nice story to start the season. They were playing well. They were above 500. They look good. But they have come crashing back down to earth. Some of that has to do with the Beal, with Beal being hurt in and out of the lineup. I get that. But this is just a very average team. And I don't see the pathway through organic growth or off-season acquisitions to get this Bradley Beal-led team into a better place. And yeah. if you believe that, what are you doing? Like, yeah. you're not drawing fans anyway. They're 26th in the NBA in attendance. It's a ghost town there at a lot of these games. What are you doing? What is the point of keeping this group together? That That's my big thing. Like, I... Well... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, and it's going to continue to hurt them. So... What a, what like the treadmill of mediocrity? What is that? Well, the treadmill of mediocrity is never being bad enough to get high. And this is picks. the year to tank. This is the year to, and to never, blow it. This is it for sure. You, at, like and, and never being Victor good enough. Never being good enough to be relevant. So they are they are trapped in the middle. They've put themselves there. Here's where they've picked over the last several years: tenth this past draft. Before that, fifteenth, ninth, ninth, fifteenth. You are unless you get. Unless you are the the one in a million shot that gets Giannis at fifteen or Kawhi Leonard at fifteen or Paul George at like eleven, uh, Rudy Gobert at twenty seven, like uh, J- Jimmy Butler at thirty, those come along every now and then. And they've but, been okay. Like you know, I think Rudy no, can play. I think he's been right, but hold on a little bit. Let Let's do a quick review. Twenty twenty one, they took Kyle K- or, uh, Corey Kispert at, tw- at fifteen. Over Alpern Shingoon, Trey Murphy, Bones Highland, and Herb Jones. In fairness, I, everybody passed on Alpern Shingoon. I think that pick was traded like seven times before he was picked. I'm just saying, there's like four guys I just named who would be better. Uh, 2020, Avdia over 
Tyrese Halliburton. Now, a bunch of teams missed on Halliburton. Everybody missed on Halliburton. But we we can smack every single one of them, most of them, for passing on him. Hachimura, they took over Cam Johnson, over Tyler Hero, over Matisse Theibel, over Jordan Poole. 2018, Troy Brown, 15th, over Dante DiVincenzo, over Anthony Simons, over Kevin Herter, over Jalen Brunson. I'm not saying these guys are like MVPs or all NBA uh, superstars, but like you have to... When you're picking outside of the top three, top five, whatever, and the, the, the further down you go, the more volatility there is, it's not that we grade you on whether you aced every draft. Nobody does that. But if you're, you know, over a course of four, five, six, seven years, you've got to nail one now and then. you got to be the team that got Halliburton. you got to be the team that picked Anthony Simons or Tyler Hero or Herb Jones. The, Wiz- the Wizards are not that team. They have picked... Perfectly solid, fine players who are not raising their floor. That's the problem. And they're stuck on this cycle. And as long as they keep Bradley Beal, they'll still be in this cycle. And yes, the no trade clause makes it more difficult to get full value because you can't play all 29 teams off of each other or 10 or 15 of them or whatever it's, it's like going to be. five. You can operate with five, basically. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's Beal's list. And so you know, good luck leveraging all that. So no, like I, you know, I, I think they've really kind of boxed themselves in. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't, every time I watch a Wizards game and I saw them when they came up to Boston, I've watched a couple of their games on TV. It's like, all right, what's the plan here? Like, you know, Porzingis, I think he's got another year left in his contract. Like, he's like start paying these guys like to stay and, and be yeah. this middling team. I don't, I don't understand but, it at all. But by the way, I know teams are scared. Like Ted Leonsis is, is afraid of, of a future of when they've they've traded Bradley Beal, who's been the face of their franchise for so long and has been a great guy for them and has been great in the community and all that. I, I get it. But like, look at where Utah is now. They traded the two faces of their franchise and they are in perfectly good shape right now with with good players and a ton of picks coming and they're respectable and and and, and they're fine. Look at where the Thunder are now, just three years after trading Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Like the Thunder are looking like they're not, they don't have a winning record, but the Thunder are really competitive. They're interesting. They're fun. They're on the right path. They've got a ton of picks coming. Look at where New Orleans is three years after trading Anthony Davis at gunpoint. Look at even where Memphis is after trading Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol, who they held on to for far too long, but they finally did it. And they set themselves up nicely. Like you, you just have to sometimes rip the damn bandaid off and do it smartly, and within two to three seasons, you can be back in business because Memphis is, is living proof of that. The Thunder yeah. are living proof of that. The Pelicans yeah. are living proof of that. Make the right deals and sell high on your guys, right? Yes. I don't know if Beal's at his high point right now. Probably last year would have been his high point because you'd have his bird rights. You've traded him to the right team. They would have given up a lot. But Kuzma, like, you can sell him high right now. I don't know if there's a market for Porzingis at this point, but I'd try to sell him too. I'd try to get young players and draft picks. I'd bought him out. I'd get a high pick. Sure. And I'd start to build around these guys. Like, I keep going back to this, but like, who are you? Who would you alienate if that happens? Nobody goes to your games. Nobody watches your games. Um, so who are you pissing <laughs> off at this point? Like, it's not like you're going to yeah. see this catastrophic dip in attendance and TV ratings. They were, I think, last season 24th in local TV ratings. Like... You're not bothering people. If I know, like, in fact, you might be able to reinvigorate like them. Like, fans. this is what we're doing. Like, this is, yeah. <laughs> Who are you going to piss off? I know, like, two Wizards fans. 
Respect to the maybe three tweet, if you count Wolf Blitzer. Okay. I don't actually know Wolf. Uh, yeah, don't tweet at us either, Wizards fan. I know, I know, I know there are passionate Wizards <laughs> fans out there, but there are not enough of you. That's the problem. There needs to be more of you uh, to no. make anything happen. All right, Howard will be back on Friday. We will be back next week. Good to talk to you, my friend. Always a pleasure, my friend. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.